This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Taylor, joined by the whole squad, Brady, David, and Jordan. Today we're going to be breaking down Georgia State's 56-27 loss to App State, getting into a little viewer questions, do a little USA preview and then uh, do a little basketball road trip breakdown. But first, let's talk Georgia State App State. I don't even want to ask how we're feeling because I feel sad. Not as sad as I thought I would be, but still sad. I And the thing is, is like the score just jumps out as like, oh, this is terrible. But I think it's a misleading score. I mean, they put up the points. 56 is just an eyesore, but like Georgia State's defense has played worse this year and given up less. Uh, so it's a tough game to gauge because the elephant in the room was Dan Ellington played in a total shock, but he wasn't Dan Ellington and the team got out of the gates really well, but the team didn't, it wasn't the same offense. And once the offense couldn't keep up app state got rolling at the right time, they played really good sequential football it has to be said, scoring at the right time, getting stops and adding scores after getting stops. And so the scoreline got pushed high, but it was always once Dan went down in a row, it was always going to be a bit of a everything has to break your way for this to be the game. And it did. I will say that it did break state's way for the for the first, what, like eight minutes of the game. I mean, George, yes. it goes out. No, scores way longer first. than that. Way longer than that. I thought they were going to break the train horn in half like, <laughs> as much as they were leaning on that thing. Oh, man. So, I mean, Georgia State goes out. They score first. That app answers. It's 7-7. Georgia State scores again. It's 14-7. And then in the next possession, you get a pick six. Suddenly, you're up 21-7 in the first quarter. And you're thinking, wow. All right. Georgia State showed up to play. Maybe this is the everything has to break right for us you know, uh, continuation of the multiverse theory. But then we realized that Dan playing on an ACL maybe wasn't the best idea. And the offense kind of sputtered. And then I credit to apps defensive game plan. Uh, they were getting worked on the line of scrimmage at the beginning of the game, but they <sighs> stuck with it and were able to get a lot of pressure up front, which was, real detriment to Georgia State's running game getting started, and especially when they didn't have to game plan for Dan getting outside the pocket and being that kind of dual threat that we've seen him become this year. Uh, it just kind of, things started falling apart on the offensive end, and then the wheels kind of came off from there. Uh, so I, I kind of wanted to hit on that because uh, doing the Upon Further Review this week, one thing that I noticed, especially early on, was the penetration that the app state Mountaineers was, were able to get. It wasn't like Georgia state was really running the ball well in the first quarter either. Um, yes, there were a couple of big runs and, you know, credit to Trey Barnett and to Devin Gentry. Um, when there was a hole, they hit it, but I don't even want to say that the offensive line played well for the entire game. You know, it seemed like app state, really did a good job of mixing their box coverages, you know, mixing how many guys they had on the line, mixing, you know, who was where. And it, they were just susceptible to the big play kind of in the same way that the Georgia State defense was. Well, I think what it is, especially early, is it, we've seen it happen 
multiple times this year where I don't think it's like they don't prepare for Georgia State because they think they're a walkover. But I don't think until they line up against them, they know how fast the backs are or they know how good the offensive line is when they're, you know, hitting their blocks. And so I think that they just got hit a couple of times early because they were just kind of like, all right, let's see how this offense rolls. And they just got punched in the mouth on just a couple of plays that cost them. But once Dan was clearly not going to be a factor in the run game, anytime it was a run play, anytime it was a run down in distance, they were keying in on the running back and they were just not at all giving Dan any respect, uh, which if you do that any normal week, Dan is just going to run all day. But this just wasn't a normal week in that way. And he also wasn't really crisp in the past game and the past no one really stepped up in the past game okay that's uh, an understatement sorry it, it it was just not a good week it, maybe whatever time he didn't play in practice maybe that threw off the rhythm maybe he it seems likely that the injury affected his ability to put the zip on the throws he usually can but for whatever reason he wasn't on and nobody was really covering for that in the receivers or in the tight ends yeah, it was not <clears throat> not a good day for pass catchers um, either. So, and I and honestly, we kind of had talked about it internally, and you know, there were some things that were said online. It looked like the cornerbacks played a lot better than they did. And I mean, shout out to Sean Jolly. I mean, he had a good game, but honestly, I think there was just much more about the power on the throws than anything else. I don't want to take too much away because Jolly had a good game. Um, I'm I'm not nearly going to be as much. It was all on Georgia State's guys. I thought that they were from the start locked in and making plays. And there was maybe one or two plays where a flag could have been thrown, but it didn't get thrown for pass interference. And the thing is with defensive backs, especially if they get ahead of steam going and they get confident, they get locked in the rest of the way. It can happen the other way if they have some big plays happen on the start, but from the first drive, App had some big pass breakups in the secondary, and I think that that got their guys where they were like, this is going to be our night. So I think it was a combination of both and also the quarterback play. But I would say, and we kind of stopped in our summation of the game at this point, at the 21-7 point, that's where, for me, the game kind of turned, could have gone another way because... After the pick six that Zach Thomas threw, he pretty much didn't make any mistake the rest of the way. And really from that point, after getting the two scores on offense, Dan didn't really have another like stellar play, didn't have another Dan Ellington play. And that's a credit to Zach Thomas because he could have taken that interception and, you know, gotten in his head about it and played poorly. But he really got it sorted out. Him and Corey Sutton were locked on all game and... Uh, it, that's where if you're Georgia state, you're up two scores at home. That's where you got to get a stop. That's where you got to maybe get another turnover, get another pick six, you know, instead app scores in five plays, super easy. And they cut it to one score and the onus goes back on the offense. And it, that's where the game turned for me. I think I don't want to take away anything from app state though. Um, I just, I honestly feel a little bad for the defense for Georgia State because there was a lot to like that they did on Saturday. Um, I think there genuinely was a lot to like, you know, especially early on to begin both halves even, you know, 
the very first drive that App State had, three and out, you know, Qua fumbles a punt, and App State is basically in Georgia State territory. Well, the defense responds by pushing them out of field goal range and gives the ball back to the Georgia State offense. You know, down 14 points after a brutal second quarter, the defense forces two straight uh, punts from App State, where they gained a total of 24 yards. You know, that's... I think they did such an incredible job very early on, and they were just asked to be on the field for so long. And, you know, in a way, they got a little bit exposed because I don't think Zach Thomas was bad the rest of the way after the pick six, but I still think there were plenty of pass breakups. I think he was still a little bit wild. And, I mean, it's not like after that we saw a team that was incredible on third down. No, I mean, for the entire game, App State was, what, 33%? That's that shows me that the Georgia State defense was still capable of doing some things, even if the final yard total and point total is not what you want it to be. Yeah, I mean, like I say, I think I rate that that performance defensively looking at the whole field better than the one the previous week against ULM where they scored 11 less points. So it's all subjective. And sometimes the stats don't tell the whole story. End of the day, it's not a loss that you it's not a good loss because you lost by a lot at home where you had kind of made it your place. And it outside of one very Looney tunes scenario eliminates you from the Sunbelt East title, which (laughs) is your main goal. Uh, We don't have enough time on the podcast for me to go through everything that needs to happen for it to happen. But suffice to say, it's not really in this realm for Georgia state to win the Sunbelt East, though it's not technically over. So you're saying there's a chance. I am saying there's a chance. <laughs> However, not for the chance. <laughs> That's the chance, Taylor. Oh, excuse me. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Moving on. I guess here, here's where I'll pick a little nit. I, I can, I'm going to be mad at App State, not for winning this last game, but for losing that game against Southern. Because Oh, my God. If this was a loss on the track to them being a New Year's Six team and they were still undefeated, you could at least put that in your hat and be like, whatever, good for the conference, yada, yada, get them next time. But it's still not a likelihood for them to make it because they lost that other game. It's, Come on, guys. You better show, us, anyway. show the world what the conference can do. Anyway. I will say, I, I mean, they're... The one loss to Southern, obviously it sucks and kind of takes a little bit of away from the matchup, but they were still ranked for a reason. I mean, they're eight and one. They have been perennially one of the, you know, G5 powerhouses the last couple seasons. They absolutely earned the win. And I'm not going to take anything away from their performance. Obviously, we would have liked a little bit of a a more competitive game, you know, but credit to App State. Damon, they would they did what they needed to do, especially when their backs were against the wall early. I mean, there is another world or another universe in which app crumbles after going down 21 seven and the score is reversed. You know what I mean? So they still had to go out. They had to make the plays credit to app state for doing what they needed to do and showing that they deserve to be ranked where they're at and they deserve to be in the conversation for, you know, b- the best of the you know G5 schools. So let's go ahead and take a look at the listener questions for this week. Our first one is from at GSU Panther Love on Twitter wants to know the Panthers traditionally do pretty well versus South Alabama. Do you think they'll start Brown versus them to get him tuned up for Georgia Southern? Then Ellington can play if slash when he chooses. So we're not going to soothsay on this uh, week of the podcast and go with a determined outcome because we were wrong this week. We spent a lot of time talking about 
Quad Brown is going to play and Dan isn't. And look how much egg is on our face. Uh, look how much egg is on everybody's face. Everybody got top by, caught by surprise. So I guess I would Except say Reese Davis. There's a couple of different ways I could see it play out. I'm just rolling through it. I'm rolling through the punches. I think that, and this is what Coach Elliott alluded to during his media call. Sorry, it was not during the media call. It was on his radio hit. This yeah. is what Coach Elliott alluded to on his radio hit. Uh, it sounds like Quad will play a good bit, and Dan will also play. We don't know how that shakes out, but I think the best expectation is Quad will get most of the series because... I think in the app game, what you saw is that Dan Ellington, heart of all heart to go out and play. I don't think that on this injury, he has the stamina to play a full game. And I think that that the performance steadily got a little bit worse. Just I think that his body was wearing down a little bit, which is totally understandable. So I think if there was a takeaway from the staff when they saw that, it's Dan can go out and do some of the things he used to do. Dan can't do it as much as he did it with this injury. So I think we're going to see quad because as GSU Panther alum points out, it's a real chance that he's going to have to play some the next week against a better team, South Alabama. We're not going to chalk up South Alabama as a win yet, but it's a good game for him to get experience. So I feel like it's just a no brainer to get him a lot of reps against South Alabama. I also think you want to put Dan out there because you know, it's senior day and that's, I think that matters, um, you know, as much as he wanted to give to this specific Georgia State team. And, you know, obviously the injury kind of probably ends his football playing career. So, you know, you, you can probably throw him out there for a couple snaps. Um, have him start happens. the game, have him start the game, have him take the last snap. And if he's feeling all right, put him in a little bit in the middle. But other yeah. than that it should be the quad show. It sounds like it might be a little little more than that again. We don't know, and as Coach Elliott showed last week, what he says publicly isn't necessarily what's going to happen. <laughs> but it sounds like they're going to give Dan real series chances to play. We don't know yet what that entails, but it sounds like the plan is that he's going to play not just a ceremonial snap here or there. I just don't want to see him go down and really, really get hurt. More than an ACL, apparently, but apparently he's Superman, so that's not a big deal to him. So that sets up the next question pretty well. At the fake Des on Twitter says, what are your thoughts on the team doctor and coaching staff allowing Dan to play on a torn ACL? Uh, first off, they wouldn't let him play if they legitimately thought it was going to severely hurt him. Dan said himself in the postgame press conference after App State that he wants to finish the season. Like, this man is determined even if the Sunbelt Championship hopes are dashed now, he wants to do everything he can for his team, for his school. I think that's really admirable. Whether or not it is a medically responsible decision is not really for me to say, but uh, I think we can all take a lesson from his humility. I'll say this on the topic of whether or not it was a, safe, a smart decision. <laughs> I don't think that if it was a completely like fully torn ACL, the doctors would have let him play. And I don't think right. that he would have been able to go out there and play. And Jordan and I were talking about this on the sideline when we were at the App State game of while I don't think it's a fully torn ACL. And this is just my armchair diagnosis. I don't have a medical degree. I've obviously just kind of speaking from 
experience of having watched sports for a long time. It definitely seems like it's an ACL injury and it's severely hampered uh, his side to side lateral movement, which is a telltale ACL sign. So while I don't think that it was necessarily, I don't want to call it like a stupid decision because I mean, I'm not the one that's able to make that call. I, I probably wouldn't have put him in that position if I were the one to make that call. However, I'm not the one out there at at the end of the day making that decision. And I truly think that the medical team would not have medically cleared him to play if it was going to be a long-term detriment to his health. Whether or not it was a smart football play remains to be seen. I mean, that's not really for me to say. But you can't say enough about, you know, the determination, the heart, the grit that it takes for a player like Dan, especially kind of considering his game and how you take away basically a, an entire dimension of his offensive, you know, what he brings to the team and the fact that he was still able to, you know, fight through that and go out and it shows a lot about his character. And, you know, it's just to see somebody (laughs) so bought in and putting, you know, the himself in in a position like that, it shows a lot of leadership that I think, uh, is is really important for this team. And you saw that in their performance against App. You know, the, the team came up fired up. They, you know, looked great on those first two offensive drives. And you could tell that I don't think it would have been the same if Quad had started. Not necessarily saying that's a knock on Quad. However, you just could tell that the locker room effect and kind of the inside the huddle that these guys respect Dan and they want to play for him and they want to go out. And, you know, when he's out there fighting through what he's dealing with health injury-wise, that fired up the guys at the beginning of the game, and you saw that in their performance. So whether or not it was a smart decision, again, remains to be seen. You know, you could tell that his performance was hampered, and as the game went on, like Barry alluded to, the stamina wasn't there. So I don't know. I, it's kind of hard for me to wrap a bow on this because it's still so weird for me to hear that he's playing through you know, what could have potentially been a torn ACL. And we don't, we never really was were confirmed of that. That was reported in some places, you know, like college game day said he was playing through a torn ACL. But I don't think that it was 100% like a completely torn, you know, ACL. But it certainly hampered his ability to play. And that's definitely something that the coaching staff is going to have to deal with and manage if Dan wants to keep playing throughout the rest of the season. So, I don't know. Yeah. not Not too much more can be said. I mean, if he didn't want to play, if he didn't want to play, obviously they weren't going to make him play. So next up, Bailey Knight at Royale underscore sports on Twitter wants to know what are the best case slash worst case scenarios for potential bowls? And we said it last week and I'll say it again. Nobody wants to go to Arizona. That's the worst case scenario. Actually, well, that's not true. The worst case scenario is we get left out if we lose to South Alabama and Georgia Southern and there's six or seven Sunbelt teams looking for a bowl and there's five slots. That's worst case scenario. Agreed. That was what I was going to say. I was about to, you know, a cast you and be like a cost you. A cast you isn't a word. I was going to cost you. It is now. And say the worst case is getting left out. Um, I'll take the, the, the bright side, I guess the, the best case I would say is probably one of the Alabama bulls. Uh, probably a good matchup and travelable ish. Moby is a little more of a hike than Montgomery. Yeah, but, please be Montgomery. But both are close enough that the fan base shouldn't be like priced out, whatever, out of going where 
as Jordan said, Arizona would be an ask. I think Mobile, aside, like the sorry, the Mobile would be the Tax Slayer Bowl. Is that what it's called now? No, yeah, it's the, the Lending uh, Tree Bowl. Lending Tree Bowl. Here's yeah. the case I'll make for the uh, Mobile. I mean, distance aside, I think it's the best case. Full stop because it's the January six bowl. It's yep. the latest that we could possibly see Georgia State play. Gives guys who are injured the best chance of being healthy. Remy said it himself on Twitter earlier this week. He's already walking. Maybe he can come back. We'll see. So last question for this week, Brad at Extra Brad on Twitter wants to know who in the roster currently has the best shot at the NFL, either this draft or a future one. That's a question. Good question. I, I think Hunter's getting drafted. I do too. I, I it really could do be too. reasonably high. Uh, anytime you've got an offensive lineman who can do the things that he has done, I mean, NFL teams, they see that. They want to look at that. Yeah, I think Hunter's the, the obvious. He's the one for this year, I'd say, has a decent chance of getting drafted. He's definitely going to make a camp no matter what, even if it is an undrafted free agent. I guess I was going to do more of a deep dive. I we, we still can. I would say Sam Pickney has the, the NFL receiver projectability. I want to see him get healthy and come back for these last two games. Something, something, uh, Georgia State wide receiver, you. I mean, <laughs> hey. That's definitely part of it. Definitely part of it is saying, you know, there's the next cog in the wide receiver, you, that has been forming in a very short history. Do we think that Ray Barnett could see maybe, you know, a, a camp appearance or... You I know, think so. somewhere as an undrafted free agent. I mean, he's had a great year this year, and a lot of that has to do with the play of the offensive line, but he's still got to go out and make those runs. And I think he's shown enough that maybe he could be a fringe talent on the next level. I think he could. Be, I would be. I think he could get drafted. It would depend on the team liking him. The tricky thing is with offensive linemen, being a senior isn't necessarily a bad thing. And with skill positions, it's not nearly as drastic as like in the NBA, how much being young matters. But I think that that might be a thing that because he's a senior, that that could be a, a tick in the box to where teams are like, we're going to try and stash him in not and get him in free agency after the draft. But I definitely think he has a shot because that top line speed plays at any level. Absolutely. Um, I think my only concern with him would be his size, but I'm sure somebody will get, at least give him a look. I mean, Penny know. was small and he's still got a lot of attention. Absolutely. So again, thank you very much for your questions. We appreciate them each and every week. Uh, feel free. Even if it's not question time, just throw us a question on Twitter. Chances are we'll answer it. And if not, then we'll roll it into the next podcast episode. So let's go ahead and check out the South Alabama Jaguars coming into Georgia State Stadium for Senior Day on Saturday at 2 p.m. Honestly, I kind of forgot what afternoon football felt like. Right? Wait, you're allowed to play football in the Wait, afternoon? The lights turn night. off? <laughs> My question is, did the train horn work in the afternoon? Is it a night train? I don't know. I thought they broke it last game. <laughs> I think we should go out and score 70 points just to make sure it works. That's interesting. I know. Interesting. I, I, I'm intrigued I am by this. Begging you, whoever <laughs> pushes, whoever the intern is that pushes the button, I am begging you, break the train horn, play that thing until it falls off the top of the building, and then they can aim it not at the press box next year. So here's the thing about this game. On paper, Dan Ellington or not Dan Ellington, South Alabama has one win. They've had some games where they've just truly not played competitive games. 
But they're playing better as of recently. They made a quarterback change. They're going with the freshman Desmond Trotter over Cephas Johnson. And this is where Georgia State is right now. There are goals to play for still in that you can set your program high in wins. But the big main goal you were playing for, the Sunbelt East Championship, that's gone. So this is going to be a week of coaching, getting them up for this game anyway, because with the record, with the quarterback situation, with the losing the the last game and losing your hopes to the Sunbelt East, this is a real letdown game possibility if Georgia State lets it happen. Yeah, I remember uh, two years ago before they went to the bowl game. They, I think they played Idaho. Oh, don't um, talk about that at game. the end of the season. And it just didn't go well. So I'm hoping the coaches give to the players what they have been all season um, in terms of a pep talk, because this is still a good game for them to showcase that they're a good team. You know, South Alabama might not be a world beater, but that's still a Sunbelt conference opponent. You still want to win these games and Georgia state should absolutely go out on their senior day and just, you know, play a really good competitive football game. So I'm about to play the other side of what I was just saying. I was talking up the South Alabama because they should be talked up recently. They played Texas State really close, which Georgia State can't sneeze at. Georgia State lost to Texas State. And last week they played Louisiana Lafayette, who's a very good team, close for all four quarters. The thing that I go back to is one win team. This feels familiar the teams I'm thinking of are the early Trent Miles teams where there wasn't a lot of consistency week to week, and that was part of why the team wasn't very good. And so I, I wonder if it's a situation where we can't really say for sure if they've turned a corner or not because, well, the same team might not show up. And that's the tricky thing. When you're losing, especially if you play well and you still get a loss, it's tough to go back out the next week. But are you ready for a jarring fact always i love jarring facts south alabama has not won a road game since 2017 i was informed that there would be facts about jars (laughs) (laughs) so i'm sorry that that speaks for itself the joke and the stat that's crazy and impressive their last their last road win was at troy in on october 11 2017 Wow. Which precedes the current coach. The current coach, Steve Campbell, has not led South Alabama to a road win in his tenure in Mobile. So that would be a less than fun streak to see broken. Yeah, I don't like that at all. I hate that you brought that up now. (laughs) Well, what can I say? Well, I can say that this is still a really good home team and Georgia State still runs the ball well. So South Alabama is certainly not App State. They are not. I, I guess... This is this is my thing on offense. The running the ball has to get better, and I think if it is quad getting some play and his the quarterback running aspect is part of the offense, South Alabama won't be able to load up on the box quite like what App State did. Um, I think that, like we said, it didn't happen in the App State game. Patch, pass catchers, whoever it might be, have to step up in this game. If Dan or Quad is the quarterback, both of them are going to need reliable guys on the outside or on the inside. I, I'm open to the idea of Roger Carter or Aubrey Payne playing a big role in this game. But someone, whoever it is, is going to have to decide. We don't know the fate of Sam Pinckney. He may or may not be playing. Uh, we don't know how 
comfortable the quarterback's going to be. So we're going to have to be the guys who step up and make plays. I think this is a good game for the defense too. Um, As I said, uh, I think last week people will dog on them a little bit because of the final score and just kind of the way that the game played out. So, you know, having an offense come and face them, that's not necessarily, um, the highest of scorers in the conference or in the country. You know, if you go out there and play a 60 minute game and you just shut down that opposing offense, I think that'll be really, really good and a really big confidence booster for the defense heading into the, you know, two really important games at the end of the season. They're all important, David. That's true. We haven't seen a dominant game from the defense since ULM last year. And so I think with uh, South Alabama, if their offense comes in cold, comes in sputtering, and the defense plays something resembling the first quarter last game, I think that it could be a chance for the defense to put a stamp on a game, which they haven't been able to do in a while. And I think that would be really important for them. Because I just want to say, not to go all the way back to App State, but the Chris Bacon pick six was a lot of fun to watch because – Watching this defense all year, plays like that just haven't been a part of the DNA of the, that defense. Just aggressive, making a jump on a play, getting the ball. And case in point, that was the first defensive touchdown for Georgia State in 2019. Really? Yes. Wow. That's a stat I can't say I'm completely surprised by, but at the same time, I'm incredibly surprised by. It's indicative of that there haven't been enough of those plays, whether it results in a touchdown or not uh it's it's something you need from your defense your defense can't just be bend but don't break especially not good if it's bend and break which has happened from time to time but defense need to create their own momentum sometimes and get the turnovers to shift the game to stop the other team from scoring you know whatever it is whatever situation calls for it, it needs those kind of plays and this is an opportunity for that i think and before we go, we also had some Panther basketball action. Uh, Georgia State fell to Duke and Georgetown over the weekend in a real tough road trip. Um, what are our thoughts? What do we What do we learn for the, about this Panthers team this weekend? Beat did both we spreads. Ex- did we expect to win both of those games? No, not really. Did we want to? Yes. Was it possible? Maybe in an alternate universe. It wasn't I that crazy. It, it's not that cr- like. In an alternate universe makes it seem like it was totally out of the realm possibility. Well, that's not where I wanted that to go. I meant yeah, if Damon and Kane don't foul out in the last couple minutes of the Duke game, they kept it really competitive pretty much the entire game. I'm obviously minus the talent difference with NBA talent on the other team. I think it's crazy that this team was picked sixth in the preseason poll. That's um, what I'm saying. And obviously we're just so far away from Sunbelt play. Well, a month is so far away in these terms, but I think you've seen glimpses of the Rob Lanier offense. And I think that this Georgia state Panthers team is going to be just fine. Um, Obviously it sucks being one in three, you know, uh, losing a close game against Charleston college. And then, you know, went to Cameron and played Duke. Okay. You know, but you only lost by 11 and you looked good doing it. Um, You know, I think, I think they're, going to be facing some teams that don't have the talent 
or the size that they have played recently. And Georgia State is just going to be able to beat them simply because they're going to be playing a much more equal level of opponent. And I think that matters. I think a lot of people were down on the talent coming back this year, not because they thought they not because they thought it was bad, but because they thought that it would be a drop off from a year ago. And so far through four games, I don't I don't know that we can really say that. No, we can't. It's uh, I mean, obviously there's still plenty of adjustment and fine tuning that needs to happen with the young players on the team and the older players adjusting to the new system. But I'm not ashamed to say I am completely willing to admit I was wrong in where I thought this team was going to be this fall before we enter uh, Sunbelt Conference play. They surprised me. That's a good thing. Didn't surprise me. Don't be shocked. I, I Don't be shocked. I, I was <laughs> pleasantly surprised by these games. I would say I wasn't expecting to play both these games close just because we've seen it happen where George State goes into these games against power conference schools and just gets shot out of the building. But then you remember different defense, different coach, different mentality and on out of conference play. I think we're already starting to see, even though yes, three straight losses, all games you could have won. They were competitive games and, there are some times in Coach Hunter's tenure where the out-of-conference games, it wasn't the same Georgia State team, and it was there were just weird stuff that went on. And these games are just the better team, got a lot of foul shots in the second half, started making some of the tough looks they were missing earlier. And I got to say, I really like the offense. Uh, the defense, the numbers may be better right now just because of how low the shooting percentage is for the other team. But I think the offense plays any night just because – all the different weapons you have, all the depth that they use. And it's not a offense that relies heavily on the three, like Georgia state, especially in recent years had tended to be the, the thing is, is that at any given time, you know, two to four guys out there can take the three and they're not just going to throw it up. It's going to come off of good action and it's going to be open shots. So a couple of the guys that impressed me over the course of this weekend, number one is definitely Corey Allen. Corey Allen led the way for the Panthers in scoring in both the games against Duke and Georgetown, uh, and also is dishing out a fair number of assists as well. He had four against Duke and three against Georgetown. And this team has surprised me in the fact that it's not so reliant on Kane Williams running the point. There have been guys that have stepped up and we I asked Coach Lanier about this after the exhibition game uh, in his postgame press conference about how this team really seems to have a lot more guys that are able to handle the ball, run the offense, kind of be that that point position player. Um, I mean, just to name a few, Corey Allen, Kane Williams, just Roberts has shown uh, some flashes of good handles. And Damon Wilson has also kind of taken a little bit more of that leadership role on his shoulders this year. Another player that really impressed me this weekend was Josh Linder, specifically in his performance against Georgetown. 17 points, 11 rebounds, uh, two assists, two steals, only two turnovers. I mean, that's a great, great game against a really talented team for a guy that we were looking for to take that next step. And it really seems like he is 
getting more comfortable as this new group is kind of gelling and he's getting used to the coaching staff. But I'm really pleased to see that he seems to be taking that next step forward um, in his development and kind of stepping into a bigger role now that he's not sitting behind, you know, five seniors that we graduated or lost you know, on the team last year. I think it'll be really important to see what Georgia State can get out of Josh Linder. He's definitely responded with the faith that Coach Lanier has put in him. Um, and he has had two really, really good performances. And then a couple of games where he didn't play a lot, but that was more so situational. Um, against the College of Charleston and Georgetown, he really showed out. And if Georgia State can use him off the bench this year, that'll be very, very helpful for them. And against Georgetown, it was a night where Joe Jones III had his first real like struggle of a game. He only played six minutes because he picked up four fouls in those six minutes. A couple of those, <laughs> at least, were one of them specifically was just a total. He got fouled, called on him for being held by the Georgetown player. It was it was a bad call, in my opinion. Um, but you've got two freshmen who were going to be learning on their feet a little bit. So if you can have that guy off the bench who can play the four can play the five and give you a double double, you know, just why not? Uh, that's so big. The one more kind of final thought I want to give about this weekend of Panther basketball. Georgia state played, I think above most people, most people's <laughs> expectations. Um, specifically with regards to Duke. I mean, you go into probably the, if not one of the hardest away arenas to go play in Cameron indoor stadium. You could tell the crowd was a part of it, especially down the stretch, um, but it took a career night for Trey Jones from Trey Jones. I mean, 31 points out of 19 from the field four from eight from three. I mean, the guy had a six assists. He, he was balling all night and he was really outside. Uh, if you look at this Duke team outside of Trey Jones, it's just Vernon Carey Jr. that is like a scoring option for that team. They lost a lot in, I mean, obviously two of your top three draft picks in last year's team were on this Duke team last year. So they're still trying to find their identity. However, the fact that it took a career night from Trey Jones to lift them over a Georgia State team that's in flux, in transition, new coaching staff, all this different stuff that should have, this should have been a blowout on paper. We thought that maybe it could have been a little more competitive, but I'm really proud of the way that Georgia State handled themselves on the road in an incredibly hostile environment against a team that 99% of the population that watched college basketball would give them absolutely no shot, and they were only down by two at halftime. I mean, they were leading or right there with Duke for, I'd probably say, 75% of the game. And again, it took a career night from Trey Jones, who's going to be their kind of big-time scorer now that they're going to have to lean on. But, I mean, the guy, he averaged 10 points last year, and he dropped 31, 10 points a game last year. He dropped 31 on us, and that's what it took to get them over the hump <laughs> against this Georgia State team. So defensively, I was really impressed with a lot of what I saw in in flashes. I mean, not overall Georgia State held Duke to 25% from three and just 34% from the field. You're going to win a lot of basketball games playing against specifically Sunbelt teams if you can replicate those kind of shooting splits on the defensive end night in and night out. So really was, despite having taken two losses this weekend, I'm really pleased with how Georgia State performed in, 
in the basketball world this weekend? I tweeted something out to, to this effect. Like, look at that one in three Georgia State record at your own peril, just because I don't think that that's at all indicative of how this team has played so far. Clean up the turnovers. That's the one thing you can say about the, the team right now is that there's a lot of turnovers, and I think that that will just get cleaned up by virtue of playing more games and just traveling less. <laughs> but we're going to see this weekend. It's going to be replicating the tourney kind of it's two games back-to-back nights it's going to be against georgia state's demons the prairie view panthers on friday night and then either central arkansas or cal baptist on saturday and if you win both you get a trophy and trophies are fun in november even if they don't mean anything and so looking at these games it's going to be kind of a similar team to football we're going to tie these things together if georgia state doesn't win at least one of these men's basketball games. Pretty much both, though. If Georgia State doesn't win both, and if Georgia State football doesn't beat South Alabama, this is the week you're allowed to be disappointed. This is a weekend where, you know, losses are what you already learned from them. This is the weekend where you're allowed to, at home, go, these are games you should win. And so I guess that'd be my, what I'm looking for in this weekend. You know, win. Yeah, Georgia State definitely needs a good weekend on both fronts. Um, take care of business, play, play some good football, play some good basketball and beat the team that you're supposed to beat and continue to surprise and see what happens. And run up the score on peer review because of that loss two years ago. I'm mostly kidding. I'm not do that. Please <laughs> run up the score. Can we bring a train horn to that game? <laughs> you going to Riverside? No. <laughs> it's okay. We'll FedEx it. That's fine. Is the second game? It's just back to back days, right? Like, is it right? Yeah, it's on Saturday. Okay. It's but it would it's be like, like a tournament in that it's going to be one of the teams, but it's going to be whoever wins or loses, you know, depending on what your state does. So it would be like Saturday night, right? Like they're not going to do a. No, I mean, it's it. If I had to guess, it'll be like mid afternoon, and then the second game will be like I don't know five ish. Gotcha just in time for the end of football versus South Alabama. An action-packed weekend of Panther sports as long as you subscribe to Flow Sports Basketball. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Thursday Night Podcast. Thanks, as always, for listening, and hope you guys have a great rest of your week. The Thursday Night Podcast is a production of ThursdayNight.com, the independent source of choice for all things Georgia State sports. This podcast and all included sounds are exclusive property of and copyright 2019 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC, on behalf of ThursdayNight.com, unless otherwise specified. The podcast is produced by Programming Director Brady Weiler and Technical Director Jordan Crawford, with assistance from co-hosts Taylor Dynan and David Salmon. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, as well as podcast aggregators like Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcast. To submit questions and comments, or to request information on advertising and corporate partnerships, contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at Thursday Night or via email at thursdaynight at gmail.com.